Our reading is uh, can you? Yeah. Our reading is taken from First Peter chapter three, chapter three, verse eight to verse eighteen. Can be found in, on page one two one nine of the Church Bible. So First Peter three, starting from verse eight. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic. Love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Great, let's pray. Father in heaven, please, this afternoon, with tired minds, Father, please help us to hear what you have to say to us. Please change us, we pray, for your glory. Amen. So you imagine the scenario where your work sends round a new diversity policy, and at the bottom there's that button that you have to click to confirm that you have read and agree to that policy. What do you do if that policy has elements in it that you don't feel as a Christian you can agree to? Do you tick the box and hope it's never actually going to come to having to live out what the policy says? Do you go and speak to your HR department and explain why you've got concerns about the policy? Or do you just kind of delete the email and hope that it's the kind of email that they never check whether people actually actioned it or not? What do you do? An antagonistic family member pops a message in your family WhatsApp chat that either makes light of sin or demeans Jesus in some way, shape, or form. What do you do? Do you think, I must defend Jesus' honor, I have to fight back? Or do you think Jesus didn't retaliate when he was insulted, so I'll let this one slide? What do you do? 
Your friend politely but assertively says, stop bothering me with all this nonsense about Jesus. I've had enough of it. What do you do? Do you honour their request? Or is eternity too important? And so they don't, even though they don't realise, because they don't realise what they're saying no to, you keep pressing on. What do you do? Living in this world as a Christian, in Peter's language, living in this world as an exile, will guarantee that moments like that and similar moments will come up. We are guaranteed to face those kind of moments where there is a hard choice and we're not sure what to do. And whichever option we take could cause problems for us. 1 Peter helps with those kind of moments. We're going to see some of that today. But I'm going to send you into discussion groups first. The question's going to appear on the screen. What moments have we faced where we found it hard to know how to respond? So similar to those that we've started with, or could be completely different, but moments where as a Christian we found it hard to know how to respond as a result of living in this world as exiles. Go into your discussion groups, talk about that for four or five minutes. A couple of people to share things you were discussing on your tables. What do you do when you know the answer that gets you the marks on the exam is an answer that you don't biblically believe? What do you do? It's a tricky situation. One other group. Yeah. And that's hugely complicated. Two people, same sex, wanting to get married. Can you as a Christian go to that ceremony or not? Those are the kind of scenarios that as we live as exiles in this world, we are going to face. We are going to end up facing lots of different scenarios in this world where it is very tricky to navigate. And what I hope is that this series is helping bit by bit to equip us for that. First, we saw our hope for a better world. We understood that we are exiles because we're looking to something better. Then we saw that these kind of experiences are exactly what we should expect to face in this world, because this is a world where Christians will be opposed. Today, what we're going to see as we come to an end is how Peter wants to help us know how to live well in this world. Given that we're hoping for something better, given that we are going to suffer, how do we live well? Two big questions we're basically going to ask. The first is, how are we to live? The second is, how are we to speak? Firstly, how are we to live? And the big headline Peter comes back to again and again and again and again is, do good. Do good. Let me just read a few of the verses where we see that. Chapter 2, verse 20. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring? endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it's commendable before God. 
Or chapter 3, verse 11, they must turn from evil and do good. Chapter 3, verse 13, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Chapter 3, verse 16, speaks of our good behavior in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 17, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Chapter 4, verse 19, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and do what? Continue to do good. Doing good, living God's way, living a godly life. That is what Peter says is the key thing we're to do in response. And at that point, it's really tempting to think, but Peter, that's not going to work. Because if the very thing that they oppose is my morality... How is me living out my morality going to work? But Peter says, no, that is exactly what we are to do. Even if that leads to our suffering, that is exactly what we are to do. In some cases, it will mean further opposition, but in other cases, it won't. So in chapter 2, verse 12, you get this fascinating verse where it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on there, but it's possible that this is a hint that as people see the way we live, some of them will continue to oppose us, but some of them might come to believe our message. Our life backs up our message. And in chapter 2, verse 11, we see something then of this dynamic of what does it mean to do good? It means to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. In those moments where conflict comes, sinful desires will rage in our hearts. Push the other person down. A sharp word so that I get a laugh. Lashing out verbally against them speaking about them behind their back to get your own back. Those are the kind of temptations that will come as people oppose us, and yet Peter says, abstain from those kind of sinful desires that wage war against your soul, continue to do good. Even if our message is opposed, even if we are opposed for holding to it, continue to do good. And as we do, you see it a couple of times in 1 Peter, that some of those accusations against us will be silenced. Some of those false accusations that people make against us will be silenced. I don't know how many of you have watched Mr. Bates versus the Post Office. Um, I was watching it last night. It's like genuinely pretty hard to watch. Um, if you've watched it, you'll know why. Um, but just the scene was so fascinating last night. So context, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Post Office sub-postmaster scandal when they were deprived justice and all accused of theft when they weren't stealing anything and it was the system's fault. One of them is brought into court and there's this moment when they're in court, in their kind of local crown court, when the judge says to this person, why are you here? And they kind of say, I, I don't really know. I've been accused of all these things, but I don't really know. And then what proceeds to happen is time after time, basically everyone from this person's local community stands up and says, why, they are such an upright and honourable citizen. Time after time, the accusation on paper is that they've stolen money and there's no kind of proof that they haven't because of the way the system worked. 
But time after time, people stand up in their defense, and eventually the judge says to this woman in the dock, because of all of their testimony, I'm going to let you off with basically an incredibly light sentence given what you've been accused of. The accusations, to some extent, silenced because of the testimony of others. Because they have seen her good behavior, they don't believe the charges. That is something of the dynamic that Peter expects will happen to us as Christians. As we live such good lives, even though people oppose our message, they'll be saying, what they seem to be saying sounds quite, let's say, homophobic, but they seem to love people who are gay. That that doesn't seem to fit. That's the kind of thing we should be expecting to happen as we live as Christians. One of the particularly distinctive things that 1 Peter calls us to, distinctive particularly in our culture, is what follows from verse 12 of chapter 2. Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Our culture is a culture that is so, so sceptical of authority. And one of the ways we will be distinctively doing good in our culture is as we honour authority rightly. As we submit to the, for the Lord's sake to every human authority. What might that look like? I guess for us over the last, kind of, if you go back three years or so, and we're in the midst of a pandemic, and there are all those questions about can churches meet or not? Should we act out kind of civil disobedience? Should we listen to the authorities? And those kind of questions that people were grappling with. We had to face this question of what does it mean to submit to authority for the Lord's sake? I'm not going to get back into what should or shouldn't have happened. We're not going there. But here's one thing that in the midst of that, someone said to me that I just found really helpful. When we're thinking about submitting to authority for the Lord's sake, I think there's two extremes that we know we have to avoid. One is if we are never, ever prepared to ever go against something the authorities say, that is not submitting to the authorities for the Lord's sake. That is just submitting to the authorities. There have to be times where at least theoretically, if not in practice, we would be willing to go against what the authorities have to say. But on the other hand, if we only ever submit to the authorities and do what they say when we already think that was the right thing to do, that's not submission, that's just doing what you want to do. There is somewhere a middle position that is not, I'll always do what they say, and is not, I'll only do what they say when I already agree with their position. That is the Christian view of authority. We are to submit to every human authority for the Lord's sake. And that will be incredibly countercultural in our society. As we try and live out this distinctive life, that question still looms will this actually work? Will people actually notice? And will they notice positively? Last week I mentioned briefly this Talking Jesus survey that was done in 2022 which basically interviewed loads of non-Christians and asked them questions like, has your Christian friend ever tried to share the gospel with you? How did you feel about that? Did it make you want to know more? How do you feel about the church? What adjectives would you use to describe the church? What adjectives would you use to describe Christians that you know? It's really interesting if you're the kind of person that likes reading reports with data and stuff. It's a great read. As they asked that question, what adjectives would you use to describe Christians that you know? 
There were some positive, some negative. I wonder if you had to guess what the top three negative adjectives people used about Christians. I wonder what you'd guess. We won't do that exercise now. Though it would be quite fun. Here's three that probably unsurprisingly came out of the top. Hypocritical, naive, narrow-minded. But here's the encouragement. None of those had more than 10%. And here's a list of all of the adjectives that had more than 10%. Friendly, caring, good-humoured, generous, hopeful, authentic, encouraging. When we live out the Christian life, people will notice. And that, God willing, will lead to opportunities to speak. And possibly, as our culture increasingly retreats from Christian morality, we will possibly actually have even more opportunities to speak because people will notice just how distinctive our lifestyle is. The big headline, Peter says, is do good. Secondarily, he says, love one another. That comes up four or five times in the letter. Let me show you that. Chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Chapter 2, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Time and time again, Peter calls on God's people to love one another. They're to do good in the world and they're to love one another. And that is not Peter saying, okay, so in the world you're going to face suffering, so basically retreat from the world. Peter couldn't be further away from saying that as you read his letter. But he is saying what is essential in this world is to love one another. That is part of our witness to the world. Jesus says that to us in John's Gospel, doesn't he? By this the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. That is one of the ways people will know. I was really helped by this quote, thinking through what that looks like for us. Here's one person's reflection on those words. As Western cultures fracture into toxic tribalism, and I guess we see that around us, don't we? The us and them dynamic. Right and left politically, or this side of this culture war question, this side of that culture war question, or whatever it is, we split increasingly into us and them by race or by gender or what, so forth. As Western cultures fracture into toxic tribalism that picks their side and loathes the other side, it is crucial for churches to form deep, thick communities based around more than convenience. I think those last few words are really insightful because basically most communities that are formed in the world are around convenience. These people I get on with. These people it suits me to spend time with. These are the kind of people I would naturally gravitate towards. And yet if we're going to be distinctive in the world, we are to love one another, not just based around what's convenient to us. And the world will notice that we engage with people who aren't like us, from different class backgrounds or different political positions or whatever it will be. That will be noticeable in a world that is increasingly fractured. We are to do good. We are to love one another. Those are the two big headlines. And Peter wants us to know that both of those are to be done in the light of future judgment. 
in the light of future judgment, because both of those things have judgment, a kind of future judgment in view through the letter. So chapter 1, verse 17, talks about the way that we live. And it says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. Since you know there is a judgment to come, live a certain way. Since you know you'll be held to account, live like this. Or chapter 4. We saw last week those verses, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, about those who kind of oppose the fact that we don't join in all this immoral behavior. What does Peter say to encourage us when we are opposed in those ways? He says those people will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Future judgment will come on those who oppose our message, so keep going in holding fast to it. And in all of this, our model is Jesus. So chapter 2, verse 23. Speaking of our Lord, when they held insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Why? What enabled him to do that? What enabled him to show the self-control not to fight back? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew, Jesus knew that he would be vindicated. Jesus knew that those who opposed him, if they didn't come to put their trust in him, would eventually be condemned for that. He didn't have to fight back now because he knew there was a judgment to come. So too, we don't have to defend ourselves on everything now. We don't have to win now because we know there's a judgment to come. We go back into discussion groups. Two questions to think about. How does what we've seen of Peter's call for how we're to live, how does that spur us on to live well in this world? And why is loving one another so significant as part of how we're to live? Five minutes to discuss those. Great. I'm going to cut into those discussions. Uh, We're not going to feed back um, on those ones. We're going going to press on. We've asked our first big question. How does Peter help us know how to live in this world? Here's our second big question. How are we to speak? How are we to speak? Look at me at chapter 3, verse 15. It's probably a well-known verse to many of us. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, do this with gentleness and respect. You may well have heard people talk about that verse quite a lot. It's kind of a verse people often talk about when we speak about evangelism. But isn't it all the more striking when you see it set within its context of 1 Peter as a whole? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. It is only because we have a hope, an imperishable hope, we saw in chapter 1, a living hope, a hope that that is guaranteed to come because it's being kept in heaven for us. It's only because of that hope that we have something to speak about. That is what we're to speak of. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. That means people who are opposing our message, 
and people who are genuinely inquiring. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. They're asking because they're seeing something in how we live. As we willingly endure this kind of suffering for being a Christian, they're going to ask, why are you so willing to endure suffering like that? Why are you willing to be ridiculed and outcast? Because of the hope that we have. And so you can imagine a scenario, can't you, where, where you're alienated at work or with friends or neighbours because of a particular view that you hold. And yes, you're alienated, but you persist in loving those who are opposed to you. Maybe your name is being kind of derided amongst those who live around you. You're kind of the talk of the town and not in a good way. And yet when you meet those people who you know are gossiping about you behind your back, you still love them. And people start asking, why do you do that? Why don't you try and get your own back? And it's those kind of scenarios where we will have the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that we have. How are we to speak? We're to give a reason for our hope at every opportunity that we have. We're to do it with gentleness and respect. What we say matters. How we say it matters. Particularly, we need to be aware of that in our current cultural environment, where people basically don't know how to disagree. We have lost the ability to disagree with one another well, and we won't spend loads of time on it, but technology is a huge part of that, because if you're not face-to-face with someone, they just become an argument to be attacked rather than the person to be cared about. And so you see most discourse basically descends into attacks on one another. You see it in the political sphere. You see it basically any time you log into social media. You see it in the way that newspaper columnists speak about columnists on the other side of that particular issue. We've lost the ability as a culture to disagree well. And so when we disagree, which we will have to do a lot of times as Christians, we will have to disagree with things that others say. We can be humongously distinctive as we disagree with gentleness and respect. The other person is made in God's image, and so are you. And so they are to be loved and respected. How are we to speak? We're to give a reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. And we're to do it as those called to proclaim this message. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those are incredible things to be assigned to us as God's people. Why does God assign us those things? Here's one reason. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a declaring people. We've been set apart. We've been saved. We've been formed as a people to make known this message to the world. We've been called out of darkness into God's light so that we can make known what he has done for us. And so... We are to speak whenever we get the opportunity. So I think the song that we've kind of been learning along with this, with this year, kind of as we've been thinking about this vision series, is just so helpful because it starts here, doesn't it? 
You have called us out of darkest night into your marvellous light, that we may speak the wonders of the risen Christ. God takes the initiative. God acts to save us, but he doesn't just save us so we can sit in a nice, comfortable thing and think it's okay because heaven's coming our way. He saves us to be those who proclaim. So we are to give a reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect at every opportunity. I'm going to head back into discussion groups now. Two questions to talk about. How does, I should say does, 1 Peter 3.15 help us as we think about making Jesus known? How can we encourage one another to keep going in these things? Let's talk about those for a few minutes. A couple of people to feedback uh, things that you were discussing around tables that are helpful to share. Yeah, that's hugely significant. What it also doesn't, this is an aside, but I was just pondering this, what it also doesn't mean is, this corrects my temptation. I, I think I think, oh, always be prepared for every conversation. So what I need to do, I find out someone, so like, let me give you an example recently. We found out that a couple of people we know a little bit in the village are Mormons. What's my instinctive reaction at that point? Oh, I need to find out what Mormons believe. I'll go buy a book and read a book. That might be very good to do, and I did that, and that's fine. <laughs> and that was relatively informative. What would probably be well, definitely better and supplementary, if not instead, just ask them. Always be prepared to give a reason to hope you have. Doesn't mean you need to go and do some research before you have any conversation, because we're not expected to be an expert in what other people think. We listen to what they think. That's showing respect for their view, rather than pigeonholing them. And then we give the reason for the hope that we have. Maybe one other thought. Yeah, that's it. They, they can't say, no, you don't have that hope. They might say you're naive or foolish to have that hope, but they can't say you don't have it, uh, because we do. I hope this series then has been helpful as we've thought through what it looks like to engage well in this world. Many of you, well, at some point in your lives have gone through kind of university Christian unions. Uh, for those of you who have, I don't know how long this tagline has been around, uh, at least goes back to my era, maybe it goes like 20 years before me. They, UCCF talk a lot about living for Jesus and speaking for Jesus. And as I've been reading through 1 Peter, I've just found that really helpful because that's what Peter says, isn't it? We live for Jesus, we speak for Jesus. Or if we were to make it more 1 Peter, 1 Peter particularly would probably say, live like Jesus, speak about your hope in Jesus. That's what Peter calls us to. If we're going to be those this year who make known among the nations what the Lord has done, we need to start where Peter starts, with our hope that the Lord has done something and that he will do something. We need to be prepared that as we do that, we might well in this world face opposition. But as we do, we're to respond by living well, living like Jesus, and speaking about the hope that we have in him. And we pray that the Lord will use that to increasingly bring others in this area and further afield to come to know the hope that we have come to know. Go into your groups. Why not spend three or four minutes praying together?
in the light of what we've been looking at. Drawing your prayers to a close. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war on your soul. Live good lives. To live good lives, we need to abstain from those sinful desires that wage war on our soul. So let's stand and sing a prayer to the Lord that he would indeed enable us by his spirit to do that. Let's stand and sing together.